1: Water
2: in the car. Be
0: seated. It's time for Talk Law Radio with Todd Marquart. Todd Marquart, attorney at law in Texas. If you're a millionaire or a thousandaire, Talk Law Radio is now on the air. Call in with your business law question, your elder law question, veteran aid, Medicaid, build a business to get paid. Or ask a question online at marquardlawfirm.com. That's M-A-R-Q-U-A-R-D-T lawfirm.com. And now, it's Talk Law Radio with Todd Marquardt.
1: Welcome to Talk Law Radio. I'm Todd Marquardt on 930 AM The Answer. Podcasts everywhere, Facebook Live, YouTube, and www.talklawradio.com. Today, we're talking about ghost guns and stabilizing braces for pistols with Adam Turcott, who's a gunsmith extraordinaire. We'll find out more about his uh, background in just a moment. Um, but you've probably been hearing in the news uh, a lot of court cases and even the Supreme Court weighing in a time or two on uh, the ATF changes to the rules and regulations, uh, defining what a uh, receiver is, uh, and also defining, um, redefining what a, a stabilizing brace does to a pistol. So uh, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Yeah, welcome back. I think it's been two years since you've been on the show. Well, we were talking about um, some court cases uh, back then also. Um, in, the, in the meantime uh the second amendment keeps coming into the news people want to make sure that they have the the right to keep and bear arms so i wanted to reintroduce you to the audience just in case somebody's listening today that wasn't listening then uh tell us a little bit about your education and background
3: um well i'm from san antonio i've been gunsmithing now Shoot been dealing with guns for over a decade, uh, went to Colorado School of Trades, and kind of got a little bit more formalized education in gunsmithing. Uh, I'm the owner-operator of 10X Arms here in town, and it's a very busy enterprise. How's that? I it, bet. There's a lot of that going on in this area, high demand. Um, I got into it you know, f- out of the military, uh, had plenty of combat experience towards an Af- Iraq and Afghanistan, and gunsmithing was just one of those things that kind of enabled me to work with people and take some of the military experience of how to set up your firearms, uh, what works, what doesn't. And, was that
1: one of your jobs in the military?
3: Uh, it wasn't. I was more in reconnaissance uh, in the military, and it was just by chance a buddy of mine in the area here. You know, there was a gun shop that was opening locally, and he said, hey, why don't you come work with this guy, help him get his shop up and running. And I did that. Met some wonderful people while doing that. And then after going to Colorado, getting some gunsmithing experience under my belt, came back here, started my business. And it has been just off the walls busy since I got back.
1: And so um, when we were talking before we started the show, you you emphasized that there was uh, a difference in gunsmithing. Some are... are Putting together guns and and you do something unique and different.
3: I well the reason I went to a formalized school is I wanted a little bit more experience from you know the old guys that have been doing it. Um, you can go the direction of say work as an apprentice under somebody, but you're only open to getting what experience they have under their belt. Mm-hmm. Whereas I wanted to go the f- more formal route because I wanted to get the experience from ten different instructors mm-hmm. uh, and use that as a foundation. And educate myself daily on proper techniques, uh, old school techniques as well as new. Uh, YouTube kind of opened up the ball for a lot of people to uh, put some ARs together and you know use a big wrench and call it good. And it's a lot more to that, especially when you start dealing with things from you know late 1800s, early 1900s, and those a lot of those classic firearms that you have in a lot of these third and fourth generation families here. San Antonio
1: you like to work on those
3: oh I love the old school ones it's it is amazing to see some of the design work you know from John Moses Browning back in the day that to this day holds up really really well and so when you compare that to some of the more modern things you just it's pretty impressive yeah and it feels good to take something that is worn down and old and refresh it give it some new life you know whether it's a new bluing uh, and just basic repairs to keep it going for the next generation.
1: And so, describe some of some of the projects that you've worked on, where you you took an old gun. What what are some of the specific things that you did to make it look new again?
3: Uh, it could be something as simple as just you know take off some of the old rust and refresh it. It can be work it all the way down to bare metal and try to restore it in the way that they used to back in the day, whether it's from charcoal bluing, rust bluing, uh, hot salt bluing. Um, I, I like the older finishes like that because it just – it holds up really well if done properly, uh, and it retains that classic look to it.
1: Yeah, like it did before.
3: Yes. Uh, whether I mean, I'll do some wood refinish work, but – that's really one of those like the amount of projects i have on my belt and my bench is just i don't get to do too much woodwork anymore mm-hmm. it's a lot of machining uh, especially with this area there's um, with hunting as being as prevalent as it is in texas there's a lot of like silencers so there's barrels that need threaded uh, do a lot of machine work uh, a lot of repair work on shotguns especially with dove season around the corner mm-hmm. there's uh, got a lot of shotgun work right now so
1: yeah i thought that might be coming oh yeah oh yeah. yeah what kinds of repairs need to be made to a shotgun
3: uh it can be anything from you know fixing a site or having a recoil pad fit properly that that is a big thing in making sure something is fit to you and helping you be as accurate as possible is making sure that that recoil pad and that stock is fit to you uh that's a big one right now uh shotgun sights whether it's a vent rib that's loose and that needs to be soldered on and then re-blued. Um, right now, it's a lot of, hey, they didn't, you know, after dove season last year, they put away the shotgun and mm-hmm. pull it out now and it's got some rust on it or it needs to just be touched up, ready to go for this season. Have a lot of that right now.
1: Yeah. Okay. And talk about some of the uh, mistakes that people make that you have to fix.
3: Oh. Uh, <laughs> the depends on what arena you go there a r fifteens back to that youtube youtube there's a lot of youtube gunsmiths mm-hmm. gunsmiths out right. there that uh yeah they saw somebody slap it together like this it looks good and it's kind of like Legos but it's not there there's a right way of doing things there's you know the uh, mil spec standard is a basic standard you know so you get a lot of ar-15s that come in and there's something of hey this wasn't put together right or this was engaged properly and you have to take it apart and do it correctly uh, that's ars is a big one uh, pistols you do see some of that especially you know in the 1911 world well, it's
1: because the 1911 can be modified
3: it can be modified uh, but very few things on the 1911 are drop in it is truly fitting things to make sure that it's as safe as can be and uh, feels as good as can be. I mean, a Mm -hmm. a good trigger, sharp trigger that has to be, that has to be hand fit, you know, with someone that knows what they're doing.
1: Okay. Well, thank you for explaining all of your background. (laughs) That's a, that's a lot. And uh, you're a very busy person. So uh, what are some things that, that you're looking for right now um, that somebody won't have to wait in line a long time for maybe, maybe a a suppressor. Uh,
3: That, well, the ATF make sure they make sure that we wait for a while on that one while the paperwork goes through. Um, But it's probably not a lot of work for you
1: to, to fit. What I
3: do is, so I will sell them. Mm -hmm. And the nice thing about that process while we're waiting on it, say, while we're waiting on the paperwork from me to you for a suppressor. In the meantime, bring me your rifles, bring me pistols, whatever it is, and let's go ahead and get those threaded, tuned up, whatever we need to do. So that way, once the ATF finally signs off on it, you're not having to wait on a gunsmith to catch up. I've already got you taken care
1: of. It. Okay, that sounds like a good process. It works. <laughs> All right, well, we got to take a break. Uh, when we come back, we'll get into the... ATF's uh, rule changes, Uh, but for now we got to take a break, so stay tuned.
2: Discover the fascinating world of the law with Talk Law Radio. Listen to 930 AM The Answer every Saturday morning at 11 for insightful discussions and expert analysis. Then, don't miss out on a thrilling bonus segment every Sunday at 4.30 p.m. when Talk Law Radio's attorney, Todd Marquardt, offers his professional perspective on trending legal issues. Stay informed and engaged with the legal matters that shape our nation. Join Talk law Radio for an enriching radio experience on 930 AM The Answer. And for more info, go to TalkLawRadio.com.
1: 30 AM. The answer. Welcome back to Talk Law Radio. I'm Todd Marcourt here on 9:30 AM. The Answer Podcasts everywhere: Facebook, YouTube, and www.talklawradio.com. Just wanted to let you know that our website, uh, talklawradio.com, had some changes made to it to make it easier for you to connect with me. Whether you want to be a sponsor or a guest or whether you just have a question, you can do that online at TalkLawRadio.com. Just click Ask a Question button and uh, type your name and your question, and I'll see it on my phone, and I can answer when I receive it if I'm able to. Uh, But there's no guarantee because uh, the only guarantees in life are death and taxes. Uh, Also wanted to... Uh, get into the rule changes that were made to what it means to be uh, a frame or receiver. So, Adam, t- tell us how this affects your work and how it affects your clients and customers to, to have the ATF to re- redefine what a frame and receiver is.
3: Uh, I think it threw out a lot of just cloudiness. You know, uh, so many unknowns of, well, what is the ETF expecting now, but uh, what could it possibly be expecting in a year? And so I had a lot of people that about the time that, you know, the 80% lowers and everything we were getting focused on, had a lot of people stock up and just whether was, whether they were going to do anything about it now, a lot of people in this area seemed to bite up, set them aside mm-hmm. um, just because of all the unknowns with that. It's just... I don't have too many people wanting them worked on now because they know that if they bring it in, me being a manufacturer, I'm going to have to engrave it and put serial number and everything on it. And most people just don't want the ATF or any government agency knowing what they're doing. Right. You know, rightfully so.
1: So I wanted to let the audience know what the definition was. In 1978, the ATF had a rule interpreting the phrase frame or receiver. The rule defined the frame or receiver of a firearm as a part of a firearm which provides housing for the hammer, bolt, or breech block and firing mechanism and which is usually threaded at its forward portion to receive the barrel. That was from 1978, and that definition remained in place until this year. And uh, the, the, the way that it was changed is they're now calling the 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 frame and, and the receiver um, something that a projectile can come out of?
3: Yeah, the part they threw in there that may readily be converted to something that is—it's very ambiguous, you know—to where okay, what what is may readily be converted to a firearm? Uh, I mean. Do you need a jig? Do you need a lathe? Do you need a drill? I mean, it's all that just left everybody kind of guessing a little bit, and that's where the eighty percent lowers frames that we were people were able able to purchase at the time kind of helped out with that, but at the same time, I think that made the government nervous because also now. You know they're not able to conduct traces mm-hmm. uh, on something that they were able to take from you know something they picked up at a crime. Uh, what really seemed to throw it off was you know they classify these ghost guns is they the definitions of those things. They didn't just take something that may may readily be able to be converted, but they also were mixing in um, firearms that their serial numbers were scratched off. So the numbers that they have for a lot of this stuff. It's it's tough to know what is something that somebody made in you know in their garage and what is something that was already illegally acquired and just serial number was scratched.
1: Right. So, so uh, some of my audience probably doesn't know what we're talking about yet. <laughs> okay. Um, but the, there's interchangeable terms. One is ghost gun. One is unserialized firearm. One is a privately made firearm. It, it's probably all the, the same thing. Uh, describe what, what the 80% lower means. It It's a, a 3D printed type um, plastic maybe? Some
3: can be. Um, it can also be a block of aluminum. And, I mean it's really oh, – okay. you could take a, a – say a lower receiver for an AR-15 and just not have the trigger group housing area milled out well if you have a jig that can help you kind of align all that and mill all that out uh, that was their idea of oh well we're going to get to 80 percent of the way and then somebody can finish the other 20 percent drill the holes that they need to be able to put in a trigger and hammer and everything um so the question though is okay at what point you know is it readily you know easy to put something together it's i mean you have to of course have some kind of competency mm-hmm. that rules out a lot of people uh, the atf said
1: <laughs> that uh, uh one of these uh privately made firearms could be finished in 30 minutes uh, <laughs> it's Maybe if you were You might be able ready. to drill
3: some holes in 30 minutes, but for it to be properly working and functioning in, in a safe manner and a repeatable manner, I mean, that's where the competency comes in. And, and it's – all that is up to interpretation. Yeah. You know? uh, and so that's tough to rule on legally.
1: If they had a professional, maybe they could get it done in that amount of time.
3: Yes, if if you're set up for it and you, and you have the ability, machines and everything to do that, sure, you know, but at that point, you know, there's already so many rules behind it on especially on my end.
1: So the 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 upper part of a semi-automatic um pistol um is that the part that would normally have a serial number or no?
3: No, so the part that you know, say on a pistol, so your slide, your barrel, uh, firing pin, sights, and all that stuff. Most of those are interchangeable. Uh, what they wanted to regulate was the frame. Uh, now you could have a frame um, that would not have the holes drilled out, you know, where they need to be, you know, in the proper location, and you would have certain spots that uh, would prevent you from putting the slide on uh, where. Yeah, it, it wouldn't go on at all unless you milled off certain spots, uh-huh. you know. And so there's that knowledge of knowing what those certain spots are um, and what you can't take off what you can't take off. You take off too much also and it won't work at all. So, that, uh-huh. so there's that fine line. And you had companies that were making it a little bit easier for people to do that with certain tools. And I think that got them nervous in the sense uh-huh. of – now you don't need as much technical expertise to be able to do that.
1: Okay, and so the 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 frame part, the receiver, that's probably uh, a common person would identify that as uh, the the part that you hold in your hand.
3: Yes, uh, so the the frame, whether it's on AR fifteen, the receiver is what holds all the the trigger, you know, and the hammer setup uh, on for a receiver but a frame also on a pistol the same thing and then it's holding the trigger portion and it's holding the hammer uh and, and what it takes in order for it to ignite now your barrel and everything on an air 15 and a pistol they're they're separate so to be able for them to regulate just the frame and receiver uh, that's that's their point that they kind of kind of focus on right there and make sure that that's Serialized. But and it, that's tracked.
1: In, in the past, it wasn't illegal for somebody to buy uh, one of these unfinished uh, frames and to finish it themselves. Uh, you don't have to have a, a, f- a federal license. No, I mean, it. for
3: the longest time, if you wanted to make something at your house for yourself, you know, for your own use, I mean, there's nothing governing that whatsoever. Um, the problem they ran into is now, you know, you would have people that would have a build party, you know, so to say, and would kind of walk people through some of the more simple processes, I guess, and and, and that's where things, yeah, got you them can't, stirred up. You can't you know, build
1: something of, for somebody else, right? And that's where
3: recently they've. Because you kinda, have
1: to have that manufacturer's that, license. That's
3: it. If if you're turning around and making something for somebody else, and possibly making a profit off of it, uh, and th- and that's where they just keep redefining these terms of, well, at what point? What is the drawing line that now you're a manufacturer, and now you need to be an FFL, mm-hmm. you know, versus somebody that was just making things in their garage for themselves?
1: Yeah, and one of the other parts of the rule that probably affects you is the the rule change where. You don't just have to keep your records of, of sales for 20 years. You have to keep your records as long as you have your FFL.
3: Yes, that that was one of those past 20 years. If you want to get rid of your records, you were able to. Um, what you're seeing a lot of happen right now is the Biden ATF is going after FFLs um, and getting and, and dinging them for smaller you know, infringements. Whether it's uh, paperwork issues, um, you know, something wasn't done right on paperwork, or whatever, and, and they're getting people to basically give up their FFLs. And in doing that, they're able to take that entire FFLs, whether they've been around for you know four years or forty years. They're able to get all their records pretty much immediately, and that and that has a lot of people kind of scared right now. Where they're like, okay, what's what's going on? Uh, we got to yes, of course, you always have to dot your eyes, cross your t's is an FFL. But, I mean, they're taking the smallest infractions mm-hmm. and getting all that information.
1: And the regular freedom-loving uh, firearm owner doesn't really want to be on a government list.
3: Right. Yeah, and that's – the less the government knows about what's going on in our personal lives, the better. And and that – especially when it comes to firearms, history has shown us that any control uh, in that arena just never ends up good for anybody.
1: Mm-hmm. And the reason that um, an FFL uh, license holder would have to um, even document that—what's the purpose behind that? Uh, Their idea is so if, say, a firearm was uh, found at a
3: at a crime, they're able to conduct a trace on it, where they can basically go, "Hey, okay, uh, Joe Blow here. We found this thing, and we looked it up, and then." It was manufactured by Colt. Okay, well, we go to Colt, and Colt tells us that they sent it to this wholesaler. This wholesaler sent it to this dealer. This dealer, um, we reached out to him, and they gave us a copy of the forty-four seventy-three, the background check form, and it says that they sold it to, you know, Mike Smith. And well, Mike Smith, we call him up now, and we can find out, you know, through that trace, the path that that firearm took to right. get to where it was. And ultimately, it's okay. You're not tra- you're not tracking what everybody has at that point. You're tracking what was used in a crime, so it's already something that's not where it should be.
1: Mm-hmm. I, w- I would imagine that most of the the problem, the focus of the problem, should be on on w- what happened during the crime. Exactly. You know, who had it? Uh, when the crime was committed, not who sold it to them.
3: Right, and that's where the way the ATF is kind of going after FFLs, it's almost one of those things that it looks obvious to the point of you guys are just trying to get some kind of almost a registry-type deal of Mm -hmm. what is out there. And with a lot of the the power of these computers nowadays, it's not too far out of the imagination to think that they could put – put something like that together right just i mean if you turn around you if you get my books i mean you have all that information in a scan mm-hmm. you know real quick of who has what and that's yeah it's got that's people on scary
1: mm-hmm. all right well we got to take a break when we come back we'll talk to david about his question um but stay tuned we got more to say to Talk Law Radio. I'm Todd Marquardt on 9:30 AM. The Answer podcasts everywhere, YouTube, Facebook, and TalkLawRadio.com. Uh, just before the break, uh, we had a caller call in, and so we're going to see if he was able to hold and if what find out what his question is. David, you're live on the air. What's your question?
4: Oh, thanks, Todd. And uh, your guest, I. Um... I don't know if you're familiar with it, but with the high heat uh, that's going on right now, people's air conditioning bills are probably going to be what do you figure, six hundred dollars a month, eight hundred, um, you know, for a, an air conditioning bill. And um, I don't know if you're aware of it, but the state of Texas created a law that said that you cannot get backup electricity from. Uh, New Mexico, Oklahoma, Louisiana, Arkansas, that electricity cannot be sold across state lines. And the reason for that is Enron economics. Enron got caught because they were selling electricity across state lines. And when you have a captive market, the federal government can't protect the people of Texas. And so if the way that they've got the, the bills set up, the rich can buy electricity in bulk at, like, a flat rate, 10,000 kilowatts, you know, in a month or whatever. But the poor are buying it bit by bit. And so they charge piece rate in in a kind of an auction form when things get really bad.
1: David, so, thank thank you for calling. Uh, this is a, a bit... Um, more detail than I'm prepared to discuss right now because we're talking about the uh, the gun regulations. But if you'll send me an email to host at talklawradio.com, then I'll have some time to delve into this topic and, and maybe we can talk about it in greater detail during another episode. Uh, otherwise, I'll just be sitting here listening to you and I'd right, really no and rather talk last to you.
4: Regarding the guns, Uh, It's my understanding that the state of Illinois just uh, disallowed sale of certain guns in Illinois. Do I understand right that those certain guns were like baby guns, guns for infants, people under the age of 18 that have high capacity?
1: I haven't heard that either, David, but thank you for bringing it to my attention. I'll look it up. Thanks for the call.
4: All right, thanks.
1: Bye. Interesting uh, comments there about Illinois. Um, I'm I'm sure that those uh, regulations will be challenged as well. I I was at a a lunch uh, seminar put on by a a federal district judge here in town, uh, Judge Pulliam, who was talking about um, what a district court has to analyze when when somebody challenges the constitutionality of, uh, of a charge that's brought against them. Uh, for example, he, he was talking about uh, somebody who was uh, charged with illegal possession because he had a domestic violence uh, conviction, and, mm-hmm. and that person was saying that that regulation is unconstitutional because of the, the Bruin decision uh, in 2022, and we don't have to get into that. Uh, it just surprised me that the the judge said that there are hundreds of challenges all over the nation for every single type of gun regulation um, because there they're testing it against this seemingly new standard mm-hmm. that was uh, decided uh, by the Supreme Court, the Bruin case.
3: Oh, yeah. Bruin was a game changer. Um, just like the Bipartisan Saver Communities Act, that, that was a game changer as well. It, it seemed to give the ATF a little bit of a, uh, a boost in their morale and started you know, redefining a lot of these things without – uh, a law being passed through Congress, you
1: know, right, and so that's a, a good segue to the the Vanderstock versus Garland case, uh, where there there wasn't an injunction um, that prevented the uh, ATF from enforcing their rule change, because uh, the court, the appeals court, said that um, it's improper for uh, a regulatory agency to change a definition of a term in such a way that it, it it redefines the entire statute behind it. It's something that Congress could do, mm-hmm. but it was improper for uh, a regulatory agency to, to make such a change. And so that's the Vanderstock case, and uh, I think right now um, the status is that um, – there was an injunction that was preventing the ATF from enforcing that rule change, um, but the Supreme Court just recently um, decided that um, the rule change would would be able to continue to be enforced pending the uh, the outcome of that case.
3: Right. We understood is like if the if the courts if Supreme Court decides not to take it up, then the Fifth Circuit's ruling uh, for the injunction will kick in, and or the Supreme Court, if they do take it up, we'll have to just wait and see how they rule on that. Which
1: so it's still in a, a wait and see an a- yeah. pattern, but the ATF can still enforce the rule while we're waiting. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, since this is our third segment, I wanted to talk about the sinners and saints. I'm a lover, I'm a child, I'm a mother I you remember that song now? Uh, Manus Morse? Oh yeah No, it it sounds like her, but it, it's not I, I, I don't have her name um, readily available at my fingertips I think her name is Brooks
3: Oh, Meredith Brooks?
1: Yes Yeah there we go. Yeah, they have a, a similar sound They do okay. Yeah But anyway, I I love the song. It brings me back to the 90s, Uh, uh, The Sinners and Saints. So I like to talk about who the sinner of the week is and who the saint is. The sinner is somebody who's done something wrong. And um, I I have to talk about bad news sometimes, and so this is one of those times. Um, You might remember Audrey Hale, who was a, a former student of uh, Covenant Christian Elementary School in Nashville, Tennessee. In March 2023, um, she she brought a gun to that school and killed three children and three adults and was uh, fatally shot by police. And they found out later that she wasn't supposed to have a firearm because she had uh, some uh, emotional uh, disturbance disorder. Um, so we we want to uh, remember those who were killed and, and honor their memory, uh, Evelyn Deakhouse, Hallie Scruggs, and William Kenny. also uh, Catherine Kuntz, the head of the school, Mike Hill, the custodian, and Cynthia Peake, a 61-year-old uh, substitute teacher. Uh, Interestingly enough, since then, one of the presidential candidates, uh, Vivek Ramaswamy, said that the the Covenant School shooter, um, the the fact that that she had been transgender is why the Tennessee officials won't release information about this person's manifesto. And so, uh, if if you've seen Vivek on the news, he's usually trying to get to the truth of the matter of some subject. He's uh, a new candidate that mm-hmm. I don't think we've seen before. Have you seen him on the I've news? listened to some of his stuff,
3: yeah. He's uh, very good at articulating his thoughts on a lot of this stuff. It's, mm-hmm.
1: it's The more dialogue, the
3: better, and I think he's very good at it.
1: I like the way he talks about um, uh, how the United States is a great country. Big time.
3: It's – yeah, If. If you don't think that, then you need to travel more. Right. You know, that's it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> You'll find out yes. how the other countries operate. Yeah, we have our issues, but we're, we're doing really good. Good. Considering. Uh, the saint of the week is Alicia Dickin, uh, who at a Greenwood Park Mall food court in Indiana uh, was called a, a good Samaritan. Uh, he happened to have uh, a pistol on his side when uh, somebody tried to come in and, and shoot a bunch of people, and, and Mr. Dickens uh, was able to uh, stop that from happening. And the police chief and the mayor um, honored him for that. Um, even though there was a policy at the mall that people not have a concealed carry, it wasn't against the law. Hmm. So that was interesting to me. And uh, in the Bible, there, there's a, a verse that, uh, am I my brother's keeper? And uh, I think maybe we should be. Maybe we have a duty to protect each other mm-hmm. when some, something like that happens. And if we're always, if, if criminals are the only ones that are allowed to, well, they're not allowed to have the guns, but if, if they're the only ones that do have guns, then uh, how do we protect each other? We'll anyway, see. we got to uh, take another break. When we come back, uh, we'll be talking about the stabilizing pistol brace. Stay tuned.
2: Discover the fascinating world of the law with Talklaw Radio. Listen to 30 a.m. The Answer every Saturday morning at 11 for insightful discussions and expert analysis. Then, don't miss out on a thrilling bonus segment every Sunday at 4.30 p.m. when Talk Law Radio's attorney, Todd Marquardt, offers his professional perspective on trending legal issues. Stay informed and engaged with the legal matters that shape our nation. Join Talk law Radio for an enriching radio experience on 9.30 a.m. The Answer. And for more info, go to TalkLawRadio.com.
1: a.m. The Answer. Welcome back to Talk Law Radio. I'm Todd Marquardt. We're on 9.30 a.m. The Answer. Podcasts everywhere. Also YouTube, Facebook, and TalkLawRadio.com. Be aware that I recently redesigned TalkLawRadio.com, and uh, there's an easy way for you to show interest in the show by uh, letting us know if you want to sponsor the show in part or whether you want to be a guest let us know what you want to talk about or if you have questions or ideas on legal issues you think people should be aware of uh, click the ask a question button and I'll respond as soon as I can I'm here with Adam Turcott with uh, 10X Arms who is a A gunsmith and uh, also Class Three Mm -hmm. license holder, which means that he can sell uh, suppressors, which are super helpful if you want to protect your own hearing, even uh, during hunting season, which is coming up. So why don't you say something about that real quick? What's the process for getting a suppressor? Uh, you basically have to submit
3: your fingerprints, passport photo. Uh, you need to have some kind of you know either you're registering as an individual, uh, or a lot of people for the protection and uh, flexibility of it will do it as a trust. You know, um, so you're able to bring people in and out of the trust. You know, family members, friends mm-hmm. uh, that you know are legally able to purchase something like that or, or possess something like that. Uh, silencers, yeah, it's one of those. It, it's like a scope. It's necessary. You know, I mean, you can go to plenty of other countries—Europe, uh, New Zealand. I mean, you name it. And silencers are like a scope accessory. It's it, it helps one with the wildlife around you, not scaring everything away, keeping everything more natural, as well as, of course, our hearing. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's I do not understand why it's as regulated as it is, but it's well. I think it
1: it's the movies.
3: Yes, I think, in the name silencer. you know, yeah. it's, They think it makes it silence, and the person that thinks that has never been around one that's actually mm-hmm. been fired. Uh, because the first time someone hears it, they're like, oh, wow, that's a lot louder than I thought. It was like, yes, that's called reality. Um, it, but it serves its purpose well. I mean it, it does help with accuracy. It, it, it helps, like I said, not scare everything away, and I, I
1: want to be able to hear it. So. It suppresses the – the loud noise, it it's, doesn't eliminate they, it.
3: Yes, it's suppressing the gases, the explosion, you know, from that and just trying to mitigate that to where, you know, we're, we're not causing damage every time we pull the trigger, you know, when we are out hunting.
1: And so when, when somebody wants one, they, they let their uh, FFL dealer know, they fill out all that paperwork and, and you actually have to pick something out, you just don't get to take it home. Right.
3: It's one of those hey you could buy it now, we could do the paperwork for it now and in nine months or so, whenever the ATF you know approves of it, then then you can take it home. Uh they recently did an e forms, you know, where they moved everything from mailing and paperwork to we're gonna be doing it electronically submitting everything. And their idea was trying to get it down to ninety days and that lasted about 90 days. (laughs) (laughs) Everybody jumped We're back down to the nine months mark. Yeah. It's government competency for you.
1: Yeah. Okay. Well, that's uh, if you're interested in a suppressor, now you know where to get one. Uh, Do you have a website or a phone number that people Uh, should call? uh,
3: Just phone number 210-462-6401. You can look me up. I'm on social media, Instagram, Facebook, under 10X Arms. Um, You're pretty much – I like – face-to-face, word of mouth. It is the best form of advertisement. So I really don't do uh, much marketing. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, uh, I have a great, great group of clients. You know, they keep me really busy. And, you know, like I said, word of mouth is the best, you know, so.
1: Yeah. Okay. Well, let's uh, talk about Texas versus ATF and mock versus Garland. These are court cases that are challenging the regulation of uh, calling a stabilized uh, pistol brace, uh, pistol, uh, a short barrel rifle, right?
3: Yeah, it's one of those where they kind of – they said uh, it helps improve accuracy. It makes it more deadly, things like that. It, it, it's – I think it is just a politician's way of doing something, just do something. Uh, because, I mean, if you take that same main mentality and the scope that I put on my hunting rifle – makes it more accurate Mm -hmm. you know so you could automatically just you know mix that into it i I put a a lighter trigger into you know my hunting rifle and all of a sudden that makes it more accurate Mm -hmm. so is do all those need to be regulated as well under that mentality
1: so by by calling this uh, type of pistol with a brace a short barreled rifle that means that now if you have one you have to get the tax stamp Right,
3: right. It's another way for them to just build a database, essentially. You know, just get everything registered. Mm-hmm. Uh, versus, you know, hey, you buy you buy a receiver, you know, or you make make a receiver yourself, and then all of a sudden, if you put it in that configuration, uh, I guess it makes it more deadly somehow. And I, I don't, I don't understand the mentality behind that one.
1: Yeah, the the fact that it's deadly wasn't a problem for the, the founding fathers to uh, build this uh, Second Amendment into our Constitution.
3: Unless you put that little piece of plastic on the back, then
1: that's, yeah. Right. So the the Bruin case, uh, Supreme Court case, which uh, gives courts the standard by which to judge whether a regulation is constitutional or not, um, f- first says that the, the court has to uh, determine whether the, the new regulation uh, touches the Second Amendment. And and this stabilizing brace rule obviously does touch the Second Amendment because it involves a firearm directly.
3: Sure. It's just a, it's a way for them to kind of get their foot in the door and a little bit more control.
1: And so then the second step is going to be for the court to determine, are there any regulations in history going back to 1791 when the second amendment was ratified with the constitution are there any regulations that that would have been uh on firearms and uh the 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 composition and makeup of parts that's that's my guess that's what can you find you know where where george washington said we we really ought to make sure that this pistol doesn't have this that or the other I don't think they're going to find anything. No,
3: and if anything, if you really look at history and some of the stuff that they had back in those days, it's it's pretty amazing. And it's it would be a lot of fun if we had some of those things now. Oh, yeah? Oh, yeah. There's some cool toys.
1: Okay. Well, um, so they have to not only just get the, the parties and their lawyers to do this historical analysis – but the, the district judge that I heard speak earlier in the week said that um, some courts have interpreted that analysis to mean that you need an expert historian to not only explain that there was this law then, but also explain uh, the context in which the law was passed.
3: Yeah, define expert
1: well, yeah. I don't know yeah, exactly. I, That's where it's kind of they're, they're going to have to be evaluated. They could find somebody that'll fit
3: the narrative one way or another.
1: Yeah, but each each side of the case is going to be able to bring their own mm-hmm. expert. And the, there was a recent case where the parties didn't do that. They didn't have an expert. They just brought some uh, historical materials to the court and the and the the court said uh, since the prosecutor failed to bring an expert, it's unconstitutional. Because uh, it was up to the prosecution to prove that the regulation was constitutional, and they didn't have an expert, they didn't carry their burden of proof. And so I think that that's (laughs) going to raise the stakes on all parties to go hire somebody to be the expert. And uh, so if if you know a lot about history, you might start building your resume <laughs> as an expert oh, yes. historian. i to sit in front of courts. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> and be badgered by attorneys. <laughs> yeah, that's probably not too much fun.
3: No, I, I just, I'll deal with the guns. They don't speak back as much.
1: <laughs> so the, there was an attempt to have a, a, a joint Resolution uh, about the pistol brace, Uh, U.S. Senator uh, Deb Fischer released a statement after voting in favor of legislation to prevent the Biden administration ATF from enforcing the pistol stabilizing brace rule, but but that bill failed to pass the Senate uh, 49 to 50. So the 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 Senate is trying to get involved, but it's such a hot button issue. I'm not sure th- what the uh what the Congress and the Senate can do to get anything passed uh, from either party. That's why the that's why the Biden administration just did this through rulemaking mm-hmm. uh because Biden chose the head of the ATF and he said you changed the rule and they didn't require you know uh 435 legislators to vote
3: yeah i think it's the amount of people especially through the covid lockdowns and mostly peaceful protest rights the amount of people that bought firearms that were on the fence as Well, above what they would like. And I think they know that if Congress actually tries to take a stand one way or another, that they're going to get stepped on pretty hard by the majority of Americans. And they really don't want to know what that true number is. Yeah,
1: they're going to get voted out of office. Yes.
3: And so that's where I think for them to do a little backdoor deal through just, you know, executive orders, et cetera, it's that I think that they feel that's their only way to do it. You know, because. Yeah, people won't stand for true, um, true gun control.
1: Yeah, no. So I sort of want to hear from people if, if you anonymous anonymously or not. If if you bought something that was legal at the time, but because of uh, changes in definitions have have made such item illegal. Uh, Let me know. I want to hear more about what's happening with people and how you feel about these regulations. If you don't speak up, then you might lose your rights. And so we have to do more to make our voices heard uh, when we want our Second Amendment rights protected. So uh, you can email me at host at com, or you can go to the website at Talklawradio.com and hit the question, ask a question button and just leave me a comment uh, with or without your name. Thank you for being on the show. We ran out of time. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah. Uh, your historical analysis was on point. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, good luck this season with uh, finishing all those firearms for people Thank you. Yeah. Time to get to work. All right. And thank you for tuning in. I'll talk to you later.